The following audio is from Community Bible Church in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us online at cbcnashville.org. So the scripture reading for today is Psalms 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged, to you my, sin, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may not be, when you may be found surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him you are a hiding place for me you preserve me from trouble you surround me with shouts of deliverance i will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go i will counsel you with my eye upon you be not like a horse or a mule without understanding which must be curbed with a bit and bridle or it will not stay near you Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all of you upright in heart. Thank you, Evan. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn to John chapter 18. We'll read from there shortly together. We've been working our way through the Gospel of John, and uh, lately, I think just last Sunday, in fact, we finished uh, what's referred to the Upper Room Discourse. Last week, we covered uh, all of John 17 as we looked at the high priestly uh, prayer of Christ. And today, uh, we kind of get back into the narrative uh, heading toward the cross. So... If you recall, Jesus and his disciples were in the upper room. You probably recall the, the famous scene of Jesus getting down and washing his disciples' feet. He walks through a number of uh, things with them to comfort them, letting, letting them know that he's about to depart, but he's telling them about the Holy Spirit, the helper, coming to them. And then they leave the upper room, and as they're going along the temple wall, you have the... Uh, uh, kind of sermon as Jesus is walking with his disciples about him being the true vine. And at last week we saw as they're crossing the uh, Kidron Brook that they're heading toward the Garden of Gethsemane. And this, that is where Jesus prayed uh, for his disciples. And as we saw last week, Jesus prays in that prayer for us. Now, today, they're entering into the garden. Just a short short time before the cross. So let's read John 18 together. We're just going to look at the first 27 verses this morning. John 18, beginning with verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples, 
So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put away your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas. For he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also is with them standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Let's pray. Father, as we come before your word this morning, let's pray that you would open our eyes and soften our hearts to receive it. I pray that... Through your Holy Spirit, you would grant us understanding, that you would help us to believe the things we hear of your word. 
that you would help it to draw us to worship you. Father, help me as I am just a weak vessel. As I preach your word, Father, I pray that you would help me to, to preach the things only that align with your word. Father, we bow before you as humbled that you show such grace and mercy to your sinful creatures. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was working through this text this week, I was specifically thinking of, of Peter's denials. I was thinking of kind of various kind of heroes of the faith that we know from history with uh, just kind of wonderful stories of kind of taking their defense of the faith and standing firm in what they believed. I thought of, of Luther's famous defense before the Diet of Worms in 1521. It's recorded kind of at the end of his speech. He says, it cannot be either safe or honest for a Christian to speak against his conscience. These last words, there's some debate about it, but they're famous nonetheless, where he says, here I stand, I cannot do otherwise. God help me, amen. Just a, a man who was brought before this council and, and told to recant of what he is saying, the, the Roman church was preaching a false gospel and he stands up with a, a heart to steer the church back, to reform the church. And he's being told to recant and he stands his ground, says he cannot speak against his conscience. Then I thought of a story much earlier in history, in the third century. You know, my boys are familiar with this story because they've seen some a cartoon about it. So we think of Perpetua. Perpetua was a, a woman who uh, in Carthage became a Christian. She was a young wife, had an had a infant child, and she was dragged before the authorities and told to recant Jesus Christ, to recant her faith. Her father, her father was furious with her because part, partly because he loved her and didn't want to see her die and he was urging her to recant she had a, a husband and an infant child that she would be leaving if she didn't simply say i recant my faith in jesus christ it's recorded of her and, and she wrote uh, as well as her father came to her she says father this is her writing. Father said, I, do you see this vase here, for example, or, or water pot or, or whatever? He says, yes, I do. And I told him, could it be called by any other name than what it is? And he said, no. Well, so too, I cannot be called anything other than what I am, a Christian. Then we think of others. My mind went to Thomas Cranmer in the 1500s, the Archbishop Bishop of Canterbury, the, an English reformer 
as he was, as Queen Mary, Bloody Mary came in and, and took the throne and she was coming down hard against the Protestants, against the reformers, and she was hauling them in to recant of their faith. Thomas Cranmer recanted. He recanted five times, in fact. He recanted five times, if I recall correctly. He, he took the Roman Catholic Mass, and yet Mary was going to have nothing to do with it. He was to be an example. So he was going to be burned at the pyre. And as he approached the time of his death, he realized that he had sinned. And he declared that since it was his hand which had offended, writing contrary to his heart, he said, my hand shall first be punished, therefore. For may I come to the fire, it shall be first burned. He recognized that the confessions he had penned and signed his name to were false. He was speaking against his heart. He was speaking against his conscience. So he said, my hand, when they light the fire, my hand will be the first to burn because my hand has offended against my Savior. John Fox, who recorded many of the stories of the martyrs, wrote this of Cranmer's death. He said, when the wood was kindled and the fire began to burn near him, stretching out his arm, he put his right hand into the flame, which he held so steadfast and immovable, saving that once with the same hand he wiped his face, that all men might see his, his hand burned before his body was touched. His eyes were lifted up to heaven, and oftentimes he repeated, this unworthy right hand, as long as his voice would suffer him, and using often the words of St. Stephen, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. In the greatness of the flame, he gave up the ghost. I think we have a hard time if we're honest with ourselves, looking at a story of, of Peter's denials. We have a hard time imagining Peter, of, of all the disciples, Peter is the one who denies Christ. As we saw earlier in John, Christ told him that he would do this. But if you look over at Luke chapter 22, I'm given a little bit more detail. In Luke chapter 22 from verse 31, Jesus tells Peter, who is also called Simon, to Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, 
The rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. So what exactly was it that Peter was facing that night? Well, first, the, the typical picture I usually have in my mind with the uh, kind of force that's coming out to the garden to arrest Jesus is not necessarily a huge force, but, but the language in uh, verses 3 and 12, speaking of this band of soldiers and the captain, these are, these are Greek terms for a Roman cohort, which could be as many as a thousand soldiers. Now, commentators um, kind of, you give some reasoning why it could be a lower number, but from what I saw in, in the various commentaries that I looked at, kind of the most conservative number was probably 100 to 200 soldiers. You see, they're coming out first off at night. They had been seeking to kind of Take him quietly. Because if you think of, Je- of, the, of what we've seen of Jesus as he's going around uh, in Jerusalem and in, in the wilderness, people are following him. Some, some people because they re- want healing. Some people because they simply want food as he fed the 5,000 and the 4,000. But nonetheless, he has this crowd going with him. Multiple times, as, they, as the Jewish authorities were tempted to arrest him, they realized that they would have a, probably an angry mob on their hands if they attempted to, to take him in. So they, they come at night. Judas, who it was one of his disciples who's betraying him, knew of the garden, knew that this was a common place for Jesus and his disciples to go where Jesus would pray and Judas leads this band of soldiers and these Jewish authorities to the garden. They do it at night, kind of under the secrecy of darkness, and yet there's still a fear. He, he at least has 11 men with him. And if there's not more, we may have trouble on our hands. So they come in force to arrest him. And here, we see the fiery Peter that we've kind of grown to know and love. The Peter who's the first to speak out. It's Peter who draws a sword and hacks off an ear of the servant. Even at this point, as Christ has kind of willingly walked up to this mob, even at this point, Peter is resisting what Jesus has already told him. Mark 8. Mark 8, again, verse 31. Jesus says, says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, 
but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in glory, in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. Whoever is ashamed of me. An interesting passage to, to wrestle with as we look at Peter's denials. So let's look at those denials. Peter's first denial that we see in, in verses 15 through 17, this, this denial wasn't even one that was necessary. His life wasn't even on the line at this point. He, he's with another disciple, which most understand is probably John. John goes in because the high priest knows him. Peter's at the door. It's, you've got this little servant girl who's, I guess, the, the equivalent of a bouncer at the gate, at the door. And John goes in. And, and then John, oh, Peter's out there. John comes back and says, hey, he, he's with me. John had already gone in. A friend of the high priest. There's no, there's no mystery here about who he is. And the servant girl says, oh, are, are you also one of his disciples? Peter says, I'm not. This is Peter who just took a sword out and cut off a man's ear, which, by the way, in another account, Jesus healed. This is Peter who just did that, and now a simple question from a, a servant girl, and he says, I am not one of his disciples. His second denial, verse 25, Peter is, is in, in the courtyard. He's kind of joined a, 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 a band of men around a, a charcoal fire. In verse 25, it says, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. Then we come to his third denial, verse 26 to 27. This time it's a, it's a relative of Malchus, the servant who, the, the man who had his ear cut off by Peter. It's an eyewitness to the account in the garden. And this man says, wait a second. I'm pretty sure I saw you in the garden earlier tonight. Surely you're one of this man's disciples. Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. For, for this third denial, Matthew and Mark both record, says, they say, he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Verse 
Luke adds this detail after the third denial where he writes, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. I can't imagine. You do the very thing you swore you would never do. And to a, you began with a servant girl, and at the end, you're invoking a curse upon yourself and swearing that you don't know it. And then the rooster crows, and you look up, and Jesus the man you have just spent the last three years with, the man you have seen calm the storm, the man whom you've seen raise Lazarus from the dead, the man whom you've seen do all these wonderful things. You've heard him, you've heard him teach as, as we've read with authority that no one else ever taught with. All of these things that Peter had seen and he denies Jesus, and he looks up, and their eyes meet. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Peter, who had once confessed when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter stepped up and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he just denied that he even knew the man. Well, let's look back. And I want to c- contrast Peter with Jesus in this passage. Jesus, as he's in the garden with his disciples, as we recall the other gospel accounts, he had been in the garden praying under such duress that his blood capillaries are are breaking. It says he's sweating, as it were, great drops of blood, praying, Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. He had just come from this. And the mob comes. And Jesus walks up to the mob. Jesus walks up to the, the, the crowd. He approaches the crowd and he asks them, who do you seek? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. Instead of saying, like Peter did, I am not, he says twice, I am. The, our translations, just to help us understand a little bit, add the word he, but the reality is that the he is not there in Greek. He just says, I am. This, this is on the tail end of what John has been walking us through in, in his gospel where Jesus has said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. 
I am the true vine. It's the I am is this language from all the way back in Exodus where Moses is before the burning bush and God is speaking to, to Moses from out of the bush. And Moses says, well, when I go to the people, who do I, who do I say has sent me? God says, I am. I am who I am. Where I am that I am sent you. And we see now with this last I am, we see, we, we can only really speculate as to this reaction that, of, of the crowd. But they, they drew back, it says, and they fall to the ground. We don't exactly know what's happening there, but we can at least know this is Jesus. And there's power behind the words, I am. That the, so much so that the crowd draws back and falls. Jesus, unlike, unlike Peter, Peter who has his, his three denials, doesn't really know what's next, doesn't know the intentions of anyone's heart, whether it's uh, to, uh, to arrest the disciples and charge them as well. He doesn't really know what's going on, but he's afraid, he's fearful of man, and he denies Christ three times. But Jesus, as the text says, knowing all that would happen to him. Jesus, knowing that he is about to be brought before the Jewish authorities and the Gentile authorities on false trials with false witnesses brought before him, is about to be beaten and scourged and crucified. He's about to, even worse than all of the physical punishment and pain that he suffers at the hand of man, he's about to suffer the very wrath of his heavenly father, not against his sin, because he has none, but against ours. And Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, stepped forward and said, I am he. Jesus gave himself up to arrest and called for the release of his disciples. He said, you're here for me. Leave them alone. Again, knowing all that he's about to go into, he shows that he still has compassion for his disciples, compassion for his sheep. Even to the very end, he's the good shepherd who's, who lays down his life for his sheep. And when Peter takes out his sword and cuts off the ear of the servant, Jesus turns to him. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? This, this idea of the cup is a cup of, of wrath, this cup of wrath that God is about to pour out upon him. So why, why this contrast between Peter and Jesus? Why, why is the story of Peter even, even here? Well, first, I want to caution us that if we read this story and we, we think, kind of shake our head and wag our finger at Peter, Oh, oh, Peter. 
can't believe you failed like that. We're going to completely miss the point of Peter's denials. We won't understand why Jesus' actions are, are such a stark contrast to Peter's. We oftentimes, as we, as we think through the passion narrative, if you're like me, many times I've thought, you know, you know who would I be in this story? And we usually like to paint ourselves in the, in the best of light. Uh, if I were to pick any disciple, John. You know, John, see, John is there through thick and thin. We later see him standing next to Jesus' mother at the cross. John seems like a good one. I wouldn't be, wouldn't be Judas, for sure, right? I wouldn't be the soldiers beating him and spitting upon him and plucking out his beard. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be Peter. Weak, cowardly Peter, denying that I even know Christ. I wouldn't be that. But then when I, when I read God's word and I see the holiness of God and it reveals my own sinfulness, I realize, no, that would be me. That would be me. I am a wretched sinner. Who am I to think that I would somehow be the, one, the only person there in the crowd saying, hey, this is wrong. Do you realize what you're doing? Not all the disciples fled. They scattered. Peter denies Christ three times. So if we read this, knowing that we have behaved the same way as Peter. We realize that there's been times that we've been ashamed of Christ. We realize in the, the battle of, against our own sin, if you think of Romans 7 and Paul describing the battle between the flesh and the spirit, we think about our own battle with sin. There's been plenty of times that you have known the right thing to do and chosen to do the wrong thing. And every time we choose sin above our Savior, it is a denial of what he has done for us. So when you see yourself here, you understand that the, the contrast between Peter and Christ just reveals our absolute dependence and need for a perfect Savior. A perfect and sinless Savior. But this is one of those times where we, as we walk through the Bible, kind of verse by verse and chapter by chapter, there's times where it's necessary for me to skip ahead. Because if I leave you here with Peter denying Christ, he hears the, the rooster crow and he, he meets eyes with Jesus and he goes away and weeps bitterly. If I leave you there, then I leave you in despair. But the story does not end there. So I have to steal a little of my thunder from a, a sermon that I'm going to preach in a few weeks. 
So that's okay. We're not going to read it. We're just going to comment on it in John 21. John 21. This is after Jesus has resurrected. There's a story about the disciples going back out and fishing. And Jesus calls to them on the shore. It kind of sets up a couple different scenes for them. Reenacts a couple important parts of, of their history with him. The first thing he says is they don't really recognize him yet. On the shore, he says, hey, have you caught anything tonight? Nothing. Throw your nets on the other side. And they throw their nets in. And much like when he first called them, the nets are full of fish, and yet miraculously, they're, they're not, the net's not breaking. And one of the disciples says, that's Jesus. And this is what I love. Peter, Peter, who confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and yet has been living in the shame and agony of his sin, that he of all the disciples, the one who said, no, Lord, I would never deny you. I would fight for you. I'd go to prison for you. I'd even die for you. He's the one who denies Christ three times. Peter, upon hearing, that's Jesus, he dives into the water. He dives into the water and swims to the shore. And Jesus has something prepared on the beach for him. It's a charcoal fire. The charcoal, a charcoal fire is only mentioned twice in Scripture. One in the courtyard at Peter's denial and here on the beach with Jesus. So Jesus is reenacting Peter's denial for him. He welcomes him to this charcoal fire where he has breakfast prepared and he asks him, not once, not twice, but three times. Three. Three denials. Now three questions from Jesus. Peter, do you love me? And he gives Peter the opportunity to confess his love for him three times. You know that I love you. And just like we had read earlier, he says, Peter, Satan has demanded of you. He's demanded to sift you like wheat, but I am praying for you. And when you get through this dark, the darkest season of your life that you're about to go through, doing the unimaginable, sinning in a way that you never imagined you would sin, when you get through with that, strengthen your brothers. And here on the beach, Jesus says, feed my sheep. The very thing that caused Peter so much heartache was the very thing that God used to equip him to minister to the church. Because it's then Peter that we see in Acts 2. Peter who is taking up swords in one scene, in the next scene denying that he even knows Jesus to a little servant girl and around the, this charcoal fire, Peter stands up, 
before the people who crucified Jesus. And he says with boldness, this Jesus Christ whom you crucified is the Messiah that you've been waiting for. Peter's no longer the coward that we just met in John 18, but he's standing up and professing before a crowd of people that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And many believe that day. So when we come to this passage and kind of bookending the, the cross, we see these, this sin of Peter and then Jesus welcoming him back in this, for, this forgiving way of bringing him back in and saying, I know you love me. We get to read this now and say, I know I have failed in miserable ways. I know I have sinned in many, many ways. I sin in ways that I'm not even aware of. This is why we see in Scripture, the psalmist saying, Lord, reveal any wicked way in me. Because we are sinful creatures. We know that we have denied him in our, in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions. And yet Jesus says, I know. Do you love me? And we get to say, yes, Lord, I love you. We have a faithful Savior. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins because he has died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. The song we often sing before the throne of God above, one of the verses says this, when, sa when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. As we come before the Lord's Supper this morning, this is the, this is the very thing that we celebrate week in and week out. Because we ought to come every Sunday morning with that deep realization of how wretchedly wicked we are. And as much as we strive, and it's right to strive, that is the Christian life of faith, of striving. But we strive in light of what Jesus has done for us. And Satan does tempt us to despair. He says, Jeremy, I know what you did this week. I know the way you treated your wife. I know the way you treated your sons. I know the to use the line my dad used to say all the time as a preacher. I know you got home and yelled at the wife and kids and kicked the dog. Satan says, I know what you did, and I know the thoughts of your heart. I know what you did in the secret places. And we can't at that point say anything except you're right. Satan, you're right. 
I know I'm wicked. I know I'm a sinner. But what we can do then is point and say, you see him, Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God who sits enthroned on high, he intercedes for me. He died for me. Those sins that you accuse me of, he paid the penalty for in full. So you're right. I am wicked. But my Savior is perfect. And he is mine and I am his. So take it up with him. That's what we celebrate when we come to the Lord's Supper. He has died for us. He lives for us. So when we take these elements, we don't take them to somehow make our standing right with God each week. That's done in Christ. We take it to celebrate what has been done. Jesus Christ has died once. He has paid the penalty for our sin. It is done. When he died, the veil of the, of the uh, Holy of Holies was ripped down the middle. It's, it's done. That whole method of sacrifice and needing continual sacrifice is done. He died. And we stand in him secure. So when we take this supper, we celebrate him each week until he comes again because he's alive. And we praise God that he no longer counts all of our sin against us. Because he held that against his son who faithfully went into the crowd and said, I am he. If you're here this morning and you're not sure that you believe that, you've never put your faith in Christ, like this gospel thing just doesn't quite make sense to me, we would just ask you not to take the elements this morning. And that's only because we don't want you to be confused about what is happening here. We don't want you, even as scripture says, incurring guilt upon yourself. We don't want you taking these things thinking, I am somehow making myself right with God, or I'm taking this because I am a pretty good person. No. If you can hear me right now and you say, no, I know I'm not a good person. I know that my only hope, my only comfort in life and in de and death is my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Then yes, then this table is for you to take and enjoy. We take it knowing that he will come again and knowing that we will one day sit with him in the new heavens and new earth and enjoy this love feast with our Savior. Let me pray and we'll sing and and take the supper together. Father, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for the story of Peter because I need it. I know my unfaithfulness. I know that I deny you so often. So I praise you that we can see here in the story of Peter a testament not to our faithfulness, but to your faithfulness. That even in the thick of our, of our sin, 
even in the despair that we feel and the shame that we feel, you are calling us over and over. Sit down at the fire with me. I know you love me because I have first loved you. I've given my son for you. Father, help us to remember that. Help us to celebrate this supper with hearts that are full of worship for you, not for what we have done, but for what you have done through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation from Community Bible Church. For more information, please visit us at 6005 Edmondson Pike in Nashville, Tennessee, or online at cbcnashville.org.